Oh, yes, Jesus. Lord, it's just your breath that we return to you. And God, I thank you for helping us to understand that it's not something extra that we're doing. It's not something crazy. It's not something abnormal, Lord. It's, it's exactly what we were made for. We would return to you the very life that you gave us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, as we look to your word, as we look deeper into you tonight, God, that you would show us more of what that means. And we just thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this this time we could be in your presence. Amen? Amen. Um, <clears throat> so, in... Um, and thinking through and, and just preparing for um, what God wanted to say to us tonight, um, there was just a moment yesterday, um, I knew, you know, what God was leading me to, to speak from, but there was just something else that God was doing, and, and, and when I was thinking and just processing and, you know, going through all of my crazy analytics that I always go through when I get, dig into the word. There was a word that, that stood out, and it's the word apprehension. And there's, you know, we've been through some crazy seasons here just in the last year and a half, two years, and, and, and Paul and I talk at length about how, you know, God was moving in such a powerful way before we moved out of our facilities and, and went up to Eddie Farm and it was it was just it was just crazy how he was just touching lives and, and drawing people deeper and then and then we left and then we did like really didn't have chapel services for a while and we were like God what are you doing you know what what was all that for and we began to realize that God was strengthening and, and preparing us and and giving us taste of his presence so that we would be prepared for when we got into the struggle the time of, uh, of difficulty, right? And that's, that's what God often does in the seasons of our life. Sometimes we miss it and then we show up to the battle and we're not prepared because we haven't really taken the opportunity to, 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 to get what we were needing and so desperately hungry and thirsty for in the season prior. But God did that for us and he, he began to pour out his spirit and then, and then we went and then we, then we come back and, and God's been moving and God's been building and God's been, he's been establishing, you know, something once again right on the, he, right, like right before we're getting ready to move again to a, a different place. And, and, and what I'm really understanding is, is that we're in that time again where God is, is calling us and drawing us near because when when our circumstances begin to get shaken and life begins to take turns that we don't necessarily know what's going to happen or we're not necessarily comfortable with if we're not caught and grounded and consumed by the presence of Jesus, then we're going to be distracted and we're going to be picked off because the enemy is prowling and he's looking, right? 
and it's 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 God's presence and and God's anointing and 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 it's it's his love that's planted in our hearts that keeps us stable and that keeps us secure because we begin to realize that there's something more than our circumstances and there's something more than our situation and there's something more than just our comfortability that we have to hold on to and as people that have dealt with addiction we are so profoundly aware of what it means to live for comfortability our whole lives have been have been built on how do i how do i be comfortable how do i get rid of the pain how do i get rid of the 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 need how do i get rid of the drive how do i get rid of the hunger and the thirst for things that 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 can't actually do those things they just keep coming me back to the well over and over and over again and in the midst of that god gives us a window and and this this moment of stability and I remember back in my own life when God stepped in and, and, and the morning, I remember it like it was yesterday when God stepped in and I'm, and I'm waking up and I'm getting prepared to get high like I did every single morning. And it, and, and it wasn't some supernatural word that stopped me. It wasn't some crazy vision. It wasn't some weird experience. It was just this overwhelming sense of peace that I remembered from a time when I, when I knew God before. When I had been in a church, when I had been in a time of worship, it was that, it was that, that sense, that calming peace that, that ultimately drew me back to him. And I think that the reason why that, that, that God dropped the word apprehension into my heart is because immediately after I, I heard the word apprehension, I immediately began to see faces. And I began to see faces of people in this room and, and faces of people that, 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 are, that are here and that, that are part of the program and, and that are struggling and are going through things. And I'm not going to call you out tonight. And I'm not going to say, well, these are the people that I think that are struggling tonight. I just want you to know that God knows. I just want you to know that God sees. I just want you to know that God is not angry. God is not mad. But God's one desire is to draw you nearer to him because it's going to be those moments that are just like the one that we experience that you give your life to that are going to sustain you when everything else begins to look like it's falling apart. And those times and those moments in my life that I didn't understand and they were so frustrating and they were so painful and it, and it just didn't make any sense at all. It was coming back to that sense and that calming presence of God. And so tonight is one of those moments that you have to look into your heart and find every bit of apprehension and where is it coming from and where does it stem from and what is it that is in your life that is holding you back from jumping in fully with Jesus What's going on around you? Who are you looking at? Who are you listening to that's keeping you on the edges, that's keeping you on the fringes, that's keeping you taking steps backwards instead of forward? That, 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 and I would say to you, like, like Paul said to Timothy tonight, fan the flame. It might be just a coal, just some tiny little coal in the bottom of the ashes, but he said, fan it. Fan it and it will begin to blaze once again. You don't have to burn out and fizzle out and flame out and go backwards. That's not what God has for you. Don't be apprehensive. But apprehend the one that is calling you. And there's two individuals that are going to help us understand what this looks like tonight in the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, uh, we're just, I'll just talk about them for a few moments. And you see, I think that the reason why that God doesn't want you to, he doesn't want you to just rest in the supernatural. 
He doesn't want you to just wait for something, some sort of vision. He doesn't want you to just wait. He wants you to know and understand and what it's like to hear his voice and be led by him. He wants you to know how normal that is. He wants you to know what that experience is like so that you don't have to wait for that high anymore. You don't have to wait for the mountaintop experience anymore. You don't have to be looking for something different. You can experience the security and the stability of knowing him. But it's in in the book of Luke. There's one story in chapter 18 and one story in chapter 19. And I think that these two individuals are purposely contrasted with one another, not right next to each other, but the stories are intentionally told near each other because they're part of a larger narrative that Luke is telling and really a section here in the book of Luke where he he was helping us to understand what true faith looks like. What it means to truly follow the Lord and what, if it, what it means, you know, that it's, that it's not about position. It's not about possession. It's not about uh, 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 some type of, 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 of inheritance from the earth. It's, it's about something completely different. And, and it's, it's fitting that in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells the parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And they were in the temple together, and the Pharisee was standing there praying, and he said, God, thank you that I'm not like the senator or the tax collector. And the tax collector was sitting there saying, God, oh, what a sinner I am. And he contrasted these two individuals as examples for us of what it looks like to truly know God, that, it's, that, 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 that there is never, God's, God will never have us in a place to where we can look down upon somebody else for who they are or who they are not. God always desires wherever we are to meet us in that place and draw us upward. But he contrasts these two individuals in Luke 18. And then right after that, in Luke chapter 18, he tells the story of a religious leader that came to him and asked him the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you find that in Luke chapter 18, around verse 18 and through 30. And we're not going to read through the whole story. You can go back and you can read it for yourself. But this man comes and falls before Jesus, desperate for an answer. Jesus, what can I do? And he was sure that he was going to get this profound example or maybe some supernatural experience. And Jesus said, well, you know what you're supposed to do. Follow the law. And of course, this man, so confident in who he was and confident in his religiosity and his law abiding and everything else, this man said, well, of course, I've done those things since I was little. Jesus, that's business as usual. Jesus, that's what I do every single day. Jesus, you don't even have to tell me that because that's what I'm already doing. And Jesus looks at him and deep into his heart. And he said, well, one thing you're missing, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and then you can come follow me. And what I don't want you to see, I don't want you to miss tonight and get caught up on the fact that Jesus is asking him to give up riches. And even though Jesus says how, how difficult it is for the rich to, 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 to enter into heaven, this is not some story where he's talking against rich people. He's talking against people who are distracted and consumed too much by the things of this world and the things that are going on around them and what people are saying and what people are doing and, what they're, and who they are that they're so distracted that they can't follow Jesus because what Jesus is really asking him to do is to live the life that he himself is already living because Jesus said that he came not to be served but to serve and we know in Philippians chapter 2 that he emptied himself and he came and he took the 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 nature of a man and he and he served and he became obedient he gave of himself and he died on a cross 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So what he was telling the man was not that you're doomed because you're rich. You're doomed because you won't accept the life that I am already living. You won't follow me because you're too consumed by what's going on around you. You're too too consumed by the things that you have. But if you'll get rid of all of that stuff, your treasure will be there in heaven and you don't have to worry about it anymore. You don't have to be consumed with it anymore. And then you'll be free to follow me. Then you'll be free to live the life that I really want you to live and that I really have for you. And Jesus isn't doing this so that he can ruin the man's life. Jesus isn't doing this so he can destroy the man's life or simply to take away his riches he's doing this because he understands what true riches really are he understands what it truly means to be rich and jesus tells him you know i assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom god will repay many times over this life and will have eternal life in the next but of course in this story it's the religious leader and what happened to the religious leader He was consumed by everything that he had, and he said, I can't do it. I can't let go. His apprehension to trust the one that was calling him kept him from stepping out, and he missed the true blessing that Jesus was offering. And so it really comes down to the question, what is life? Not what I must do to inherit eternal life. The real question is, what is life? Because you will have the, the life that you are determined to have. You will have the life that you choose to have. And you will live the way that you decide to live. But what we have to understand is that if, the, if what we believe is life are the things that we find in this world and things that we can be consumed with around us, whether it's material things or whether it's the opinions of others or whether it's, 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 it's what we can gain here on earth, all of those things are going to burn up. None of those things are going to stand when Jesus comes back to this place. And so we're going to get the life that we really desire to have. Now we fast forward just another chapter Luke 19, and we see the story of Zacchaeus, right in verses uh, 1, I think, right at the beginning of Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus, it tells us, in verses 1 through 3, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Hey, no. <laughs> so in contrast to the religious leader who thought he had everything, we have a tax collector who everybody looked at as nothing. In fact, he was the chief tax collector. And not only was he the chief tax collector, he was very wealthy. So he was the person that everybody hated because he was the one that took money from everybody. I don't know how many of you guys hang out with your, with your tax people or with the IRS, but this was even a little bit different in, in their time because these individuals looked for ways to get more because they were constantly being pinched by Rome for the money that they were getting, and they were constantly being pushed to get more and to get more, and so they were in, in some ways enslaving their own people. 
And so this individual was somebody that was, that was hated by the community and somebody that nobody wanted to be around. And I could see that people either hated him or they just wanted to be around him for his money. There was probably very few people that just loved him for him, but that was about to change. Because there was a crowd that began to gather around this man, Jesus, who was walking through the town. And in fact, just a few moments before, he, he had healed a man who was laying on the side of the road that was blind. And so I think that the crowd probably began to, to, to pick up a little bit as they saw Jesus doing these mighty things. And I don't know if Zacchaeus came over to the crowd because he himself was a prestigious man and a wealthy man. And he wanted to know what this, this man, Jesus, looked like, if he was jealous or maybe he was just tired of being rejected and he wanted to know what this was about Jesus that everybody seemed to love this man Jesus but something brought him to the crowd regardless of who he was and regardless of who his background was and regardless of what his profession was he was there he was in the place that Jesus was and when you are there you are there for a reason and I don't know if you know it tonight but the reason that or you are here tonight for a reason you're not just here because you have to be here you're not just here because your schedule just happened to work out when you are near the presence of Jesus you are there for a reason and you can either get distracted by everything that's going on around you or you can choose to press into the person of Jesus and say Lord I I can't see you but I'm not going to stop until I do. I'm going to get what I came here for, and I don't know what it is, but I know that you know. God, I'm going to see you. God, I'm going to align my faith with those who seem to know you. God, I'm going to push past the apprehensiveness that I have over my physical limitation. God, I'm going to push past the apprehensiveness that I have of being ridiculed by all of these people who really don't care who I am. That if it was their choice, I wouldn't be here. But he says I'm going to push past those things. Regardless of his situation, regardless of his circumstances, he was there. I want to tell you tonight, you're here. Regardless of your situation, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your past, regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you haven't done, you're here. And if you're here, you're here for a reason. Because Jesus is here, and he does things intentionally. And, 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 and so he begins to look at his circumstances. He begins to look at his situation. He says, but I've got to get to this man, Jesus, but I can't do it here. And he doesn't give up, and he doesn't quit, and he doesn't stop, and he doesn't get discouraged. He pushes past those things, and he says, well, if I run just a little bit ahead of the crowd, right? If I don't get pushed to the outside and stand on the outskirts, if I run ahead of the crowd, then when Jesus comes my way, I'll maybe be able to get a look at him. In fact, I'll climb up into a tree, so that way if the crowd comes and they're still pressing around him, I can look down upon him. You see, something happens when we choose not to stay on the outside of the crowd. Something happens when we choose to make the choice to position ourselves to, to get into a confrontation with Jesus. And he thought, well, I'm just going to climb a tree. But Jesus had different intentions because Jesus was traveling through here just as he traveled through Samaria because he had to meet with the woman at the well. Jesus probably traveled through here because he had a divine appointment with a little man on top of a tree. 
But it happened because he wasn't satisfied staying on the outside of the crowd. He wasn't satisfied saying, oh, well, I tried my best and let me just go home. He wasn't satisfied with those things. There was something more that he hadn't got yet. What he had came there for hadn't manifested himself. And I would say uh, additionally, if what you came for hasn't manifested yet, don't stop until it does. Don't quit. Don't give up. Press on. But it's the apprehension. It's the apprehension that the enemy would use because the apprehension comes from voices that are not of the Lord's. The apprehension comes from the voices of those who are not serious about the things that you're serious about. The apprehension comes from the doubts that you that you keep dealing with and you keep struggling with because you keep them inside instead of getting them out and talking to somebody and telling somebody and help that somebody may walk you through them. The apprehension comes because we're distracted by what's going on around us instead of pressing in to get what we came for from Jesus. Verse four says, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. He was intentional about getting to the place that he knew Jesus was. And that's why these times and these services are so powerful. It's not because of who we are. It's not because we're in the Teen Challenge building. It's not because David Wilkerson's picture is on the wall. It's because that we know, because we've been promised, that when we come into this place that Jesus is going to pass by. That Jesus is going to come here. When we begin to worship and we begin to pray, he's going to respond and he's going to be here. Why? Because he responds to the cries of hungry hearts. And so it's with hunger that we come in here, not out of duty. It's with thirst that we come in here, not, not because we're told to. So he ran ahead. He wasn't going to miss Jesus. He was determined to position himself to do that. And the reality is, is that we may have to humble ourselves to position ourselves to meet with Jesus. We may have to let go of some things so that we can position ourselves to meet with Jesus. Zacchaeus couldn't climb the tree holding on to his money bags. He had to go without those things. Sometimes you have to change your environment, your location, or your perspective. You've got to get to a place to where you can see. Get to a place to where you can have vision for your life and vision for what God is doing around you. But you're definitely going to have to let go of your past. Zacchaeus knew that he was a tax collector. He knew that he was a man that nobody liked. And he probably knew that he was a man that doesn't measure up to the demands that Israel had upon them. But none of those things stopped him. I think that he let go of those things when he decided to climb up into the tree. Verses 5 through 7. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life that if Jesus stepped in in the physical and said, I'm coming to your house, I would have been pretty scared. I said, hold on, Jesus. Give me about 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> ring the doorbell when you get there. I'll let you in, right? I got to go clean up a little bit. <laughs> But I, what I find so amazing about this is that, how, that Jesus was excited, right? This was a man that nobody else liked, but Jesus was excited about him. This was a man who really was on the, the outskirts of society, 
and culture and all of those things. But Jesus was excited about him. And when Jesus saw him, he called his name. Jesus called his name and he gave an invitation to be near to him. And what you have to understand is that as, as Jesus is meeting you into this place, he's calling your name and he's giving you an invitation to be near to him. It wasn't a, 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 conf- a confrontation or just a blessing that Jesus wanted to pray over him. It wasn't uh, to tell this man, well, you better stop doing what you're doing. No, the Bible says that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And so when he came into contact with a sinner, he said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over, bro. I'm coming over. Because to do that in their culture was not simply just to go to somebody's house. It was to align yourself with them to say that this is my, this is my friend. This is my homie right here. Like, we hang out. We're going to watch the Super Bowl together. We're going to have some pizza, right? When Jesus sees you, he's going to call your name. When he sees you, he's going to draw near. And when he sees you, he's going to see you and not your issues. When he sees you, he's not going to listen to the haters that are all around grumbling and complaining because it says that as Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be with the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. But none of those things stopped Jesus. So why do we let the grumblings of other notorious sinners around us stop us from being with him? If he's not allowing the grumblings and the complainings of others to to hinder his opinion of you, because it doesn't matter who you are. We're all broken and we are all sinners and we are all we have all fallen short. But it's not upon our faithfulness. It's upon his faithfulness. It's upon his goodness and his love and upon his mercy. What Jesus is looking for is 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 just anyone who is open to fellowship and to commune with him. And whatever we got to do to clean up and to keep home in order so that when Jesus comes calling, he can come inside. That's what real life is. That's what real freedom is. Not to live a life or to have things going on to where we know that we've got to keep the door locked. We'll just hold on a second, Jesus. I'm going to call my wife and tell her, you know, can you go get that thing out of the bedroom? No, it's freedom knowing that Jesus has, 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 has the ability anytime that he wants to step in and to look inside. But it's also the freedom to know that when he finds something, that he's not going to be angry, that he's not going to hate, that he's not going to cast out. He's simply going to call it from us. He's going to challenge us to hand it over. See, Zacchaeus received Jesus with great excitement and joy. He let go of all of his apprehensions. And so the question for us is, will we receive Jesus? Not just in saying a prayer, not just in reciting something or coming to the altar, but when Jesus comes near, will we draw near to him? Because that's what true life is. Verses 8 through 10, moving quickly, almost done. It says, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And I'm like, hold on just a second. Meanwhile, <laughs> like, 
What you mean, meanwhile? Meanwhile, all of a sudden, he's just given everything up. But I think that's the power of Jesus. We don't have to get the details of the conversation. We just have to know that when you're with Jesus, life begins to change. When you're with Jesus, things, things begin to make sense. And, and I don't really believe anymore that people don't know what God is asking them to do. Or they don't hear the voice of the Lord. You can go into any book, any bookstore, and you can find a gazillion books that people wrote about how to hear the voice of Jesus. I'm not so sure that people can't hear the Lord. I just think that they are expecting it to sound different than what it does. I think that they're just expecting it to say other words than what they've run through their mind. You know how we always do before we have conversations. Well, I know they're going to say this, and so I'm going to say this, and then we're going to do this, and then this is going to happen. In psychology, that's called fortune-telling and mind-reading. Those are called cognitive distortions that if you don't stop, you're going to ruin your life. We can't do that with Jesus. When you get near to Jesus, life begins to change. And so Zacchaeus, standing in the presence of Jesus, he doesn't have to ask Jesus, what must I do? He begins to realize, meanwhile, that means hanging out with Jesus, everything began to change and his heart began to change and the things that were not of God began to fall off of him. And so opposite of the religious leader who was unwilling to let go of things, now we have this sinner, this tax collector that says, whatever it is, Jesus, I'll let it go. My position, my possession, my wealth, all of the things, the, 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 the notoriety, the fame, whatever it is that I have to let go of Jesus, I'll give it up. And not only will I give it up, but I'll pay back more than what I took to begin with because I did this in public. So I'm going to make a public declaration that I'm with you because you are willing to make a public declaration that you're with me. And every single one of us in here God has made a public declaration to say that I'm with him. I'm with her. And there is nothing that is going to change that. And so if God has said, I'm with you, what are we going to do to respond back to Jesus to say, no, Jesus, I'm with you? All of these things that I've been holding on to that just doesn't make any sense anymore. There's no value in these things compared to what it is that I could have in you. And so Zacchaeus' value wasn't in the wealth that he acquired. His value wasn't in what other people thought of him. His value wasn't determined by the things that he had done. Zacchaeus' value was determined by the one who saw him differently than everyone else saw him. It was determined by the one who didn't hold his sins against him, the one who believed in him and the one who captured his heart enough to make everything else worthless in comparison. And what Jesus will always do when you stand in his presence is ask for the thing that is consuming you that is not him. And he's not doing that to punish you. And I, and I briefly touched on this a week ago or a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think it was on the Wednesday when Pastor Andrew was speaking that we have to get out of our minds that when God... When God does work in our life and when God removes things from our life, he's not punishing us. He's not. He's rewarding you for being in his presence to begin with. God removes things so that he can fill you with more of himself. 
And you, you, may, you don't have to believe me that God's desire is to give you more life, to, to speak over you. You might just be completely convinced that God is against you and that God wants to punish you and that God wants to rain down you know, his anger and his wrath on you. But excuse me, when I read the Bible, where does it say that the wrath of God went? It went to Jesus. And we're so quick to say, yeah, well, but... I don't see that word when I read through Scripture. In fact, if you don't believe me, this is what it says. Everybody knows 2 Corinthians 5.17 that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone. A new life has begun. But we stop there and it says all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassador. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God through him. John chapter 3, 16 and 18, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his only one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We stop there, but if we keep reading, it says God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. There's only one thing that stands between you and Jesus, and it's about a sick inch space between both ears do you believe what he said is true are you willing to acknowledge that God is for you not against you oh that's New Testament pastor you're just you're just talking the New Testament man God is man he was he's he was angry in the Old Testament Isaiah 57 14 through 18 God says rebuild the road Clear away the rocks and stones so my people can return from captivity. The high and lofty ones who live in eternity, the holy one says, I live in the high and holy place. And where's the high and holy place? With those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentance hearts. For I will not fight against you forever. I will not always be angry. If I were, all people would pass away. All the souls I have made. I was angry, so I punished these greedy people. I withdrew from them, but they kept going on their stubborn ways. But here's the most powerful verse in the whole thing. Verse 18, I have seen what they do, but I will heal them anyway. (laughs) I will lead them. I will comfort those who mourn. And I have the worship team come back up because we're going to just take just a minute to respond to the Lord.